Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of drug use, violence, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Maura James pushed past the crowds towards the baggage claim at Newark Liberty International Airport. Her daughter, Melissa, didn't say why she was coming home so suddenly, but Maura figured they'd talk when she arrived. Melissa was a smart girl, but she'd made some questionable decisions over the last four years, most of which involved Craig Titus. Maura didn't understand the hold Craig had over her. Every time she came home, Melissa was in worse shape, emotionally and physically. Maura hoped that finally her daughter was done with that deadbeat for good. But even as the crowd started to thin, Mara couldn't see any sign of her daughter. She called Melissa's cell, but it went straight to voicemail. Eventually, Mora asked about the flight at the ticket counter. The clerk told her the plane from Las Vegas had arrived on time. There was even a ticket listed under the name Melissa James. But according to the system, she never made it on the plane. Panic bloomed in Mora's gut as she tried Melissa's cell again. Only one thought raced through her mind. What happened? Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, the bad boy of bodybuilding, Craig Titus, wooed fitness star Kelly Ryan. But before long, their picture-perfect life buckled under the pressures of fame. This week, aspiring dancer Melissa James gets sucked into Craig and Kelly's wild world. As tensions reach a breaking point, Melissa finds herself in dangerous territory. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. From a young age, Melissa James was a natural performer. At seven years old, she enrolled in her first dance class. She was instantly hooked. Over the years, she took every course she could find in her hometown of Panama City, Florida. She was a natural at practically every style from jazz to hip hop. Even outside the studio, she was always dancing. But it wasn't just the art form that drew her. Melissa came alive when she had an audience in front of her. She didn't just want to be a dancer, she wanted to be famous. 
and she wasn't going to get her big break in Panama City. After graduating high school in 1994, she tried her hand at acting and modeling with the hopes of getting out of her hometown, but she couldn't land anything that would sweep her away to the life she so desperately desired. While she continued to audition, Melissa enrolled in community college and took a job at Tony's Dance Studio. She quickly rose through the ranks, taking on more and more responsibility there. Soon, she started to daydream about running her own studio. Working at Tony's, she eventually learned everything she needed to know. In 1996, at just 19, Melissa opened Dance Unlimited. It was an impressive feat for such a young person. Melissa was now a business owner and totally independent. Yet even this leap forward may have felt bittersweet. Melissa still dreamed of becoming famous, but between running the studio and going to business school on the side, she didn't have enough time to find better gigs. Something had to give, so she dropped out of school. Melissa longed for more than her small-town dance studio. She was determined to do something spectacular. But she was frustrated and stuck. She started to wonder if her dreams of stardom were ever going to come true. And then she got to know 36-year-old Craig Titus. The details of how and when they met are vague, but Melissa's mom, Mora, says they met in 2001 through a friend. This friend had asked Melissa to help run a table at a bodybuilding event where Craig was set to appear. Craig was unlike anyone Melissa had seen before. The so-called bad boy of bodybuilding was larger than life in every sense of the word. Craig was handsome and charming, and his wiles clearly worked on Melissa. But there was something else about him that she found even more attractive. Craig was famous. Before we get into Melissa's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. According to the New York Times, surveys have found roughly 40% of American adults regularly daydream about becoming famous. For a select few, it's much more than a passing fantasy. Psychologist Tim Kasser suggests that for some, fame-seeking follows the very human urge to look for something to give meaning to their existence. These people turn to fame the way others might turn to religion. It seems that Melissa might have been one of them. After all, she spent the majority of her young life trying to make her big break. She wanted to be known, loved, and accepted by the masses. But that was proving to be harder than she'd hoped. Enter Craig Titus. In him, Melissa saw everything she had been trying to accomplish. He was famous, surrounded by a crowd of adoring fans at all times. This was the life Melissa wanted. And luckily for her, Craig seemed willing to invite her into his world. There's a lot we don't know about Melissa and Craig's relationship, especially in these early days. It seems they spent a lot of time together while he was in Florida. If the relationship started as a friendship, the rumor was that it didn't stay that way for long. Craig bragged about the celebrities he partied with back in California, and Melissa hung on every word, green with envy. Soon, 
Craig invited Melissa to come back to Southern California and live with him. At the time, he stayed in Venice Beach, just a hop and skip from Hollywood. He promised to introduce her to his A-list friends. With him, she could live the life she'd always dreamed of. Melissa took the bait. High on hope and the promise of adventure, she packed up her things and headed west. But reality didn't live up to her fantasies. Melissa moved in with Craig and his wife, 29-year-old Kelly Ryan. It's not clear when Melissa found out about Kelly or vice versa, but the situation couldn't have been comfortable for either of them. Yet Craig totally ignored any tension. He started taking Melissa and Kelly out together and the three of them partied all night long. In no time, Melissa was swept up by LA's nightlife. She had done her share of boozing and using back home, but Craig was wealthy and connected, so it's safe to assume these parties were on a whole other level. Melissa's days started to bleed together, a string of half-remembered romps with people she didn't know. Soon, her dreams of fame and fortune faded into the haze of drugs and drinking. And despite his promises, Craig never got around to introducing Melissa to anyone famous. However distracted she'd become, the reality was that Melissa still had responsibilities back home. Only a few months after she left, her employees needed her help with the studio's annual recital. She was forced to return to Panama City. Rather than receiving a warm welcome there, her friends and family were shocked by what they saw. Melissa was unrecognizable. She had lost a noticeable amount of weight, but her physical appearance wasn't the only alarming change. Her behavior was completely out of character. She seemed fidgety and irritable, snapping at people out of nowhere. Still, whenever someone asked Melissa how things were going in California, she'd smile and say it was great. She was really happy. It's hard to imagine that anyone believed her, especially because when the recital was over, Melissa didn't go back to the West Coast. There are conflicting accounts about this moment. At one point, Craig told reporters that he and Kelly had kicked her out, adding that Melissa had a drug addiction. Later, Kelly told a friend that the three of them had a falling out. She never explained further. When Melissa was asked about this sudden change, she would only say that it just hadn't worked out. So she stayed in Panama City, severing all contact with Craig and Kelly. Back in California, it didn't seem like Craig was all that upset over Melissa. If anything, he was busier than ever. He heard about a new housing development in Las Vegas, Nevada. Compared to the cost of living in Venice Beach, the new construction homes were a steal. In February 2002, he and Kelly moved out of their apartment and into a 3,000-square-foot McMansion. The space was exactly what they were looking for. Craig told a reporter at the time that the reason for the move was to get away from the gossip back in Venice. That might have been partially true, but privacy wasn't all he was after. Vegas fit Craig's hard-partying lifestyle a lot better than Venice ever had. 
Plus, the city provided him and Kelly with an entirely new nightlife scene. The couple didn't have to worry about prying eyes from fellow heavy lifters. They could be as wild as they wanted with no fear of blowback. Then, for whatever reason, Craig invited Melissa to move back in with him and Kelly. And surprisingly, she agreed. A second chance at her fantasy might have been too much to pass up. We don't know much about what happened with Melissa during this time, but things seem to have gone just as poorly as they did before. Like Craig, Melissa took to life in Vegas a little too well. Pretty soon, she was drinking heavily and back on drugs, including crystal meth. And as her dependence grew worse, it started to affect other areas of her life. By late 2002, attendance at Melissa's dance studio had plummeted. Short on funds, as well as motivation, the only thing she could do was shut it down. She flew back to Panama City to pick up the pieces, leaving Craig and Kelly's home for the second time. Melissa might have looked like the only one struggling, but the truth was that Craig and Kelly weren't faring much better. At the 2002 and 2003 Olympia competitions, Kelly came in second place. In the past, losses like those would have fueled her passion to succeed, but now it was getting harder to keep putting in the work when it wasn't paying off. Meanwhile, Craig was beginning to step away from bodybuilding altogether. He was rapidly approaching his 40s, and it was becoming less likely that he could ever recapture the success he'd achieved in the 1990s. By 2004, he stopped competing altogether. But that same year, the woman who had beaten Kelly in the previous two Olympias finally retired. The news gave Kelly the boost she needed, and Craig was more than happy to focus his energy on helping his wife. When the competition came around in October, all eyes were on Kelly. As usual, the Fly and Ryan's floor routine electrified the crowd. The results of her hard work in the gym were on full display. Kelly seemed like she had first place in the bag, but when the MC announced the finishes, she came in third. For once, she didn't even try to fake a gracious smile. She took her medal and left the stage as soon as she could. Backstage, she was devastated, exhausted in every sense of the word. She was physically tired from months of extra training, and she was emotionally drained from years of disappointment. Craig, on the other hand, was furious, and he didn't seem to be able to let it go. He was constantly telling everyone, including Kelly, how much better she deserved. But if his goal was to make her feel better, he failed. His anger only fed her resentment. Beneath her professional facade, a storm of bitterness and indignation brewed. It was into this tempest that Craig invited Melissa James over for the third and final time. Just like before, Melissa agreed. It would prove to be a terrible, terrible mistake. Coming up, Craig and Kelly find the perfect scapegoat for their anger. Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. 
If you've heard our podcast and that's what we drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about, not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. <laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. <laughs> Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. By 2005, it seemed like Craig Titus and Kelly Ryan were planning their exit from the competition side of the fitness industry. Rather than training for competition, they focused their energy on endorsements, public appearances, and business ventures. One of these new projects was a retail store where the couple planned to sell a line of athletic wear. To do this, however, Craig and Kelly needed some help, so they turned to Melissa James. It isn't clear how the couple approached Melissa, who was back in Panama City closing up her dance studio, but when they asked her to come back and live with them, Melissa agreed. Notably, she wasn't paid a salary for her help with the store. Instead, she was paid in room and board. When it came to money, Craig was usually generous toward Melissa. Typically, he gave her what she needed, sometimes even handing over his credit card. But there were other times when he used the arrangement to his advantage, playing twisted games with Melissa and Kelly. Once, Craig paid for Melissa to treat herself to a manicure and pedicure with specific instructions not to tell Kelly. He explained that he didn't want to upset her, but when Melissa came home and Kelly noticed her fresh nails, Craig immediately confessed. Then he sat back and watched, seemingly enjoying Kelly's jealous rage. Melissa was left confused and vulnerable. In an atmosphere like that, it's easy to imagine that her life with Craig and Kelly was stressful to say the least. But whenever she spoke to her family back in Panama City, she never let on that anything was wrong. In fact, she started to sound like her old self again. She talked excitedly about the store as if she had finally found a new direction for herself. But if Melissa's hopes were rising, Kelly's were plummeting. For the first time in years, she didn't compete in the Olympia. In fact, she stopped training altogether. Once bright and bubbly, she suddenly looked much older than her 33 years. Research into exercise withdrawal is ongoing, but given the established benefits of exercise like increased serotonin and dopamine, it stands to reason that a sudden stop in physical activity would have negative effects. And Dr. Ali Weinstein's research points to exactly that. Much like withdrawal from drug use, exercise withdrawal can cause disrupted sleep patterns, low self-esteem, and irritability. Weinstein also discovered that the reason a person stops exercising can affect the intensity of their withdrawal symptoms. Though we can't say for sure why Kelly stopped training at this time, it seemed like she'd simply lost the will to keep going. According to Dr. Weinstein, for someone like Kelly, a professional athlete, the come down would be difficult. 
So it's no wonder that she and Melissa were clashing with or without Craig's influence. To make matters worse, Kelly's social circle was shrinking. She'd never really formed strong personal relationships with her fellow fitness athletes. Now that she wasn't working out anymore, she hardly saw anyone in the industry at all. At this point, Kelly really only had one person to vent to, a friend named Megan Pearson. Megan was an amateur figure competitor and longtime Kelly Ryan fan. The women hadn't known each other for very long, but they were fast friends. Megan still came around to the house three times a week to work out, even if Kelly didn't join her. She might have been the only person Kelly was completely honest with, and the truth was, Kelly did not like Melissa. And she especially didn't like living with her. Soon, Megan started to notice the strained relationship between the two women, and it looked like there was tension between Melissa and Craig too. Apparently, he was a demanding and disorganized boss, leaving Melissa annoyed and overwhelmed. It just didn't seem like a good situation for anyone. Before we go any further, please note, the following is based on witness testimony and details from multiple stories that Craig and Kelly later told police. On Monday, December 12, 2005, Megan was over at Craig and Kelly's house. Kelly had actually joined her in the gym that afternoon, but she seemed distracted. When she finally started talking, it was like she couldn't stop. Kelly told Megan that she'd found some strange charges on her credit card statements and was sure they were from Melissa. But when Kelly confronted her, Melissa denied it. Kelly was still seething when Megan left. That night, she challenged Melissa again, calling her an ungrateful thief. Melissa didn't take the accusations lightly. Things apparently got so heated, Craig decided to separate the two women, taking Melissa to a nearby La Quinta Inn. He stayed with her for a few hours, returning home around one or two in the morning. He went back to the hotel around 10 a.m. on Tuesday the 13th to bring her home. Around the same time, he called Megan Pearson and left her a message. Megan couldn't think of any reason why Craig would have called her. They barely knew each other. So instead of calling him back, she called Kelly. Breathlessly, Kelly told her that while Craig and Melissa were gone the night before, she had searched Melissa's room and found some things. She didn't specify what she meant before hanging up. More confused than ever, Megan called Craig. He was more forthcoming with the details. Tense with fury, he explained that Kelly had found a lockbox with all sorts of financial papers in it. The implication was that they belonged to Craig and Kelly, and Melissa was up to no good. Megan had never heard anger like Craig's. He practically growled when he told her there were three things of his that were not to be messed with. His friends, his family, and his money. He hung up after that. Afterwards, Craig brought Melissa back to the house to pack her things. He'd bought her a ticket for a flight back east that night. Around 11 a.m., Melissa texted her mom, Mora, that she was coming home. Mora asked her daughter how long she was planning to stay and when she would go back to Las Vegas. 
After a pause, Melissa responded, I don't think I'm coming back. That afternoon, Craig, Kelly, and Melissa were all back home. According to Kelly, she was upstairs in her bedroom when Melissa suddenly burst in with a taser in hand. After a struggle, Kelly grabbed the taser and turned it on Melissa, shocking her once in the neck. Unfortunately for Kelly, tasers keep a detailed electronic record every time they're fired. Later, investigators discovered the taser was actually fired six times over the course of just two minutes that day. After tasing Melissa, Kelly called out to Craig who came running from downstairs. Believing Melissa had supposedly attacked his wife, he went ballistic. He threw Melissa over his shoulder and carried her downstairs to the living room. There, he body slammed her on the ground, crushing her beneath 200 plus pounds of muscle. Not satisfied, he continued to beat her with Kelly joining in. After all that, he held Melissa down while Kelly injected her with a full syringe of morphine. The concentration found in her blood was described as highly toxic, possibly lethal. Even then, Craig Titus's rampage wasn't over. Authorities can't say for certain what killed Melissa because she was also found with both a bathrobe belt and a wire wrapped tightly around her neck. It's likely Craig strangled her. When the fog of rage lifted, Craig and Kelly were left with a serious problem. Craig suddenly declared that no one could ever find out. If they did, he warned, Kelly's career would be over. To buy themselves some time to think, the couple took Melissa out to the garage and put her in the trunk of Kelly's Jaguar. From there, Craig acted purely on instinct. At 6.30 p.m., he once again called Megan Pearson. It's not clear whether he was looking for alibis, accomplices, or both. Over three short, very strange phone calls, Craig and Kelly threw out a series of accusations and complaints about Melissa. Megan struggled to understand why they were telling her all that, but she couldn't get a word in edgewise. Finally, Kelly invited Megan and her fiancé, Jeremy, over to the house that night. Out of concern, she accepted. By the time Megan and Jeremy arrived, it was nearly 11 p.m., but Craig was still highly agitated. Right away, he showed them a baggie of a rocky substance and bloody needles. According to Craig, it was Melissa's stash of crystal meth. He was furious about her keeping it in his home. Megan still couldn't comprehend what exactly was going on. All she knew was she was worried for her friend. She found Kelly upstairs and things weren't any better there. In hushed tones, Kelly gave a blow-by-blow -blow of the fight between her, Craig, and Melissa. Megan's stomach turned with each violent detail, but Kelly seemed completely unemotional. Reeling from the onslaught of information, Megan asked Kelly where Melissa was now. Kelly only said that she was downstairs, which Megan took to mean she was in her room recovering. She couldn't bring herself to ask any follow-up questions. The night dragged on for what seemed like forever. 
Megan and Jeremy didn't leave until a little after two in the morning. Before they could get out the door, Craig asked them to hang onto his black gym bag for a few weeks. Megan tried to ask what was in it, but he told her not to worry about it. By that point, Megan just wanted to go home. She took the bag and left. Once the other couple was gone, Craig and Kelly got back to work. They'd passed on the taser to their unsuspecting friends, but there was still more to do. They had to destroy the body. Coming up, Craig and Kelly try and fail to cover their tracks. Now, back to the story. In the early morning hours of December 14, 2005, Craig Titus and Kelly Ryan were trying to get away with murder. To get rid of Melissa James's body, their plan was to put it in Kelly's Jaguar, drive into the desert, and set it on fire. First, they'd need an accelerant, so they drove to a nearby Walmart around 3.30 a.m. While Craig waited in the car, Kelly went in and bought seven bottles of lighter fluid along with a barbecue set for good measure. But once she was back in the car, she couldn't be sure whether they had enough. The couple decided they needed gasoline, but rather than getting it themselves, Craig decided to involve yet another person in their cover-up. He chose Anthony Gross, a devoted fan of Craig's who could be trusted not to ask too many questions. Anthony was asleep at his girlfriend's house when his phone started ringing. In hushed tones, Craig said he needed Anthony to help him get gas. Still in his pajamas, Anthony met up with Craig and Kelly a little after 4 a.m. During the entire ordeal, Craig didn't explain to Anthony what was happening, but it didn't seem to matter. When Craig told him to head to the highway, Anthony obliged. For 25 minutes, he continued along the road aimlessly, checking his rearview mirror to make sure the Jaguar was still following behind. Eventually, Craig called him again and told him to pull over. When both cars were stopped, Kelly got into Anthony's truck. He tried to ask what they were doing, but Kelly just sat in tense silence. While the two of them sat there, Craig doused the Jaguar with the gas and lighter fluid, a small flame cracked to life and flickered for a moment in the inky darkness. He tossed it on the jag and rushed back to Anthony's truck. The glow of the blaze glittered in the truck's side mirrors as Anthony drove away with Craig and Kelly. Only then did it occur to him they might have just done something very bad. He dropped the couple back at their house before going home, trying to convince himself the whole thing had been a dream. Unfortunately, the situation was more of a nightmare and it was far from over. Before the three even reached their respective homes, a truck driver caught sight of their handiwork and called it in. Around 6 a.m., a volunteer fire chief put out the inferno and discovered charred human remains in the wreckage. Las Vegas homicide detectives were on the scene by 7 a.m. Lucky for them, the fire chief had taken note of the license plate number before the flames destroyed it. It didn't take long for the DMV to lead the police directly to Craig and Kelly. At that point, 
authorities only knew the body was small and probably was a woman. Since it was registered to Kelly Ryan, detectives assumed it was her. When they arrived at Craig's house later that day, investigators probably thought they were about to give him some terrible news. They were shocked and confused when Kelly answered the door, but it didn't take long to get to the bottom of the mystery. Both Craig and Kelly told the police the same thing. The corpse was Melissa James. At first, they claimed that after a fight about money, Melissa had broken into their house and stolen the car. Whatever happened after that was beyond their knowledge. The couple did their best to paint Melissa in a terrible light. They emphasized her drug addiction and said she might have been stealing from them. Kelly even claimed she was afraid Melissa would try to hurt her and Craig. Detectives searched Melissa's room. It was a mess, probably from Craig and Kelly ransacking it, but they found one of Kelly's credit cards conveniently out in the open, laying on a chair. When the investigators were finished, they thanked Craig and Kelly for their cooperation, but the couple couldn't quite gauge how well they'd performed. By Thursday, December 15th, they couldn't take the anticipation anymore and decided to make a run for it. The two of them once again called Megan Pearson for help, but their calls went unanswered. After that, they turned to one of Kelly's only other friends, a fellow bodybuilder named Mandy Polk. When Mandy answered her phone, Craig announced that he and Kelly would be coming over that evening. It was too long of a story to tell over the phone, but he said he would explain later. The couple showed up around 5 p.m. When Mandy's partner Ryan opened the door, a sobbing Kelly pushed past him and went upstairs to find Mandy. She told her friend about her car and a body in the desert. Mandy tried to calm her down and get more details, but Craig suddenly appeared. He told Mandy, the less you know, the better. That cryptic warning wasn't the strangest thing Craig said that night. After two hours of ranting about Melissa, he sent Mandy and Kelly to get Chinese food. Away from Craig, Kelly finally made a harrowing confession. She told Mandy that she and Craig had found Melissa dead of an overdose in her room. For some reason, they put the body in the car and torched it afterward. This partial confession might have been Kelly's way of easing her mounting guilt, but it's unlikely that the trick worked. A study conducted by Dr. Eyal Pear showed that only confessing to some bad behavior actually makes people feel worse. According to Dr. Pear, it's likely because the individual knows they aren't taking responsibility for the whole truth. Kelly likely regretted what she'd said, especially after Mandy demanded to know why they hadn't called the police. Kelly explained that getting rid of the body was Craig's plan. When the two women got back to the house with takeout, Craig and Ryan were upstairs. There were too many windows for Craig on the lower level and he didn't feel safe. So the four of them ate on the second floor. Once the food was finished, Craig asked if he and Kelly could crash at the house for the night. They were planning to leave Vegas soon and run to a country with no extradition agreement. Mandy begrudgingly agreed, but the night had been so tense and weird that no one really slept. 
The next morning, Friday, December 16th, Mandy and Ryan drove Craig and Kelly to a hotel. Later, Mandy called Kelly, giving her one last chance to tell her the whole truth. Kelly refused, so Mandy called the police. Meanwhile, Craig had finally gotten a hold of Megan Pearson. They were prepared to skip town, but Craig had a Hail Mary he wanted to try first. Kelly convinced Megan and her boyfriend Jeremy to meet up at another friend's house that evening. After giving Megan and Kelly a little time alone, the men joined them. That was when Craig made his move. He wanted one of them to give them an alibi. If someone told the police they'd witnessed Melissa overdose, he and Kelly would be home free. Megan was stunned, completely speechless. Luckily, Jeremy wasn't, practically shouting, absolutely not. Now, Craig was sure. Their only choice was to run. So on Saturday morning, he and Kelly drove east, leaving Nevada behind. Meanwhile, Las Vegas homicide detectives were interviewing Mandy Polk. And luckily for them, Craig and Kelly weren't very good at covering their tracks. During one interrogation, a friend of Craig's mentioned that he'd broached the idea of driving to Boston. He supposedly had a friend there who could help him and Kelly get out of the country. The police took the case public and notified the FBI in Boston. The news exploded across bodybuilding sites and message boards, quickly reaching mainstream papers. Megan Pearson saw the story splashed across the news and realized she had to come forward. She told the police what she knew about Melissa's death. Then, she lifted a mysterious black bag onto the table, the one Craig asked her to take on the night of the murder. When investigators searched it, they found the taser inside. Finally, they had an idea of what happened to Melissa James. Now, they just needed to figure out where Craig and Kelly actually were. Luckily, they didn't have to wait for long. After three days of searching, the FBI sent word that Craig and Kelly had been spotted in Boston on December 23rd. That day, the couple tried to meet up with a friend who was supposed to give them cash for international plane tickets. But the friend had already been in contact with the FBI and warned them off instead. Craig and Kelly were left desperate. They stopped in shopping center parking lot so Craig could make some calls. Kelly couldn't believe the past two weeks had really happened. Spotting a nail salon nearby, she wanted nothing more than to get a pedicure and relax. But she was out of luck. She barely sat down in the massage chair before the tiny shop was full of SWAT officers. Craig Titus and Kelly Ryan were officially in custody. Thursday, March 23, 2006, should have been Melissa James's 29th birthday. Instead, Craig Titus and Kelly Ryan were indicted by a grand jury for murder with the use of a deadly weapon, kidnapping, and arson. In 2008, the couple pleaded guilty to lesser charges. Craig pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to up to 55 years in prison. Kelly entered an Alford plea, meaning she never formally admitted her guilt to battery with a deadly weapon and was sentenced to two consecutive terms of three to 13 years. Kelly was released on parole in 2017. 
The case caused a media frenzy, especially in the bodybuilding world. But all the coverage focused on Craig and Kelly. The only thing Melissa had ever wanted was for her story to be known around the world. Craig and Kelly robbed her of that, but her memory lives on. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We will be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Craig Titus and Kelly Ryan, we found Killer Bodies, a glamorous bodybuilding couple, a love triangle, and a brutal murder by Michael Fleeman extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Scott Stronick. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Megan Hannum, with writing assistance by Georgia Hampton and Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.